0: He, do. he might
1: listening to the swans blogs swans cast the number one sydney swans fans podcast it was another almost performance from the young developing side but after the dust settled swans coach john longmire he made his admissions franklin and menzel played despite limited preparation and the gamble that just didn't pay off in the end but across the afl landscape sydney's issues pale in comparison in just one week two afl coaches have been sacked brad scott from north melbourne and brendan bolton from carlton Reshaw turned in a stunning first coaching performance and showed that he's got what it takes to make a career in AFL senior coaching. Straight into the show, we've got the review, the good, the bad, the ugly, the clown files, social guff, and the usual stuff. I'm Justin Mitchell, and with me is regular co-host, Joshua Mar Josh, it's a pretty big weekend to come on for a uh, Swanscast show.
0: Massive, massive week, massive week in uh AFL at the moment. Uh today's developments were interesting to say the least. Yes. Um
1: I'll yeah. just leave it at that for the moment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh look we're not gonna dive too much into Carlton stuff because unfortunately Colton uh is gonna feature quite often <laughs> through this through this podcast. It's a Sidney ones podcast, but uh, I think we're taking a bit of a uh a blue tinge on it for tonight. But we're going to kick straight off into the agenda. Uh, Just a forewarning, this is going to be a big show. So if you can't stomach the content, you can always go back and listen to the Ted Richards interview. And later this week, we have the Heath Grundy interview. So stay tuned for that one. Oh, gee, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one as well. But top of the agenda, our 22-point loss against Geelong is the fourth time that we've lost by 22 points this season. It is. Uh, it's a bit of a weird margin, actually, and it also ties in with the weird margins we had against Essendon and North Melbourne, seventy-seven to seventy-two, when we won both games by five points.
0: Uh, I know we wanted some consistency in the team, but this is beginning a little bit of a joke at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's that's what we bizarre. meant by consistency.
1: No, no, this it is, is bizarre.
0: It's just weird. But- no, well, it, it's it's very weird, but it's it's 22 points. So it's not like we've just played two of the three best teams in the competition, and we were certainly within the game uh, deep into the last quarter. So going down by 22 points to those teams that, you know, can put up significant scores on other teams. Yeah. That's not bad. Like, considering where we're coming off early this year, I'm relatively happy with what I'm seeing at the moment.
1: Yeah, and look, uh, Geelong... They're top of the ladder. They're two games clear. They're top of the ladder for a reason. Sure, they've got a lot of young players in, but their senior players have really stood up, and they are they are pretty much the backbone of that side. I mean, Dangerfield on the weekend, he was absolutely phenomenal in the second half. Tim Kelly, who's in his second year of AFL football, looks like he's been there for six, seven years. We're not going to touch too much into the review because we're going to touch on it a bit later. But next on the agenda is Reece Shaw. So... The uh, story around Brad Scott's a bit weird in that he approached the North Melbourne board and said, "Look, maybe we should think about a, um, I don't know, a, a progression plan. A um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for when Rusey had Longmire in mind? Succession. Succession plan. Let's think about what's going to happen next year and the year after, and maybe it's time for someone else to have a go." A week later, gone. Got the chop. They just uh, cut the ties, and and that was it in the end. And um, it was after a pretty. Poor performance against Western Bulldogs. They still won. But uh, the week before, obviously, we beat them, and they were very, very poor against us for a long period of time. Fast forward to uh, the weekend. Friday night, Reshaw, some subtle changes. Not too big a change. They had less possessions. They spent more time going boundary side. They didn't play on as much, but the tackling pressure was accelerated and ramped up, you know, way over the top. And in the end, they put in easily their best performance of probably the last couple of years. And Reshaw showed that he knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, he certainly did. Um, I, you'd have to temper it, though, with the fact that a lot of teams will come to play uh, when they've had a change of the coaching ranks like that. You know, they, they get a certain amount of a honeymoon period. Um, and it was against a Tigers outfit, which is fairly demolished by injury. And even though they got a few of those players back this week, they certainly weren't up to their usual standard. Uh, Cochin looked bloody terrible. Um, Dustin Martin, I'm not really sure whether he was being tagged or he was just having a bad game, but there was a lot of non-performers in that team as well. Uh, But certainly for his first game, Reece Shaw would have to be happy with what he's seeing.
1: Yeah, no question about that at all. And it was... Look, it was a good coaching performance. Uh, he went through, I think, a bag of lollies in the first 10 minutes, and they just kept on rotating the bag of lollies through through <laughs> the box. And, and the commentary team was having a bit of a laugh about it throughout the match. It was actually pretty funny to watch, and the, they were sort of talking about how nervous he was. But he had that team turned around, uh, and they put in a, a really impressive performance, and they looked like a genuinely good football team on Friday night. And it begs the question, yeah, they did. where was that? The entire year. Why couldn't Brad Scott get that out of the team? You're right. Maybe it's a honeymoon period. Maybe it's a change in mentality. Maybe it's different coaches and the players are more relaxed. They don't have that sort of monotonous, the same message. Maybe the dread and, you know, the the reviews and whatnot. So it's just interesting. I, I'm not too sure what the change in performance is or where the real cause from, but obviously there's a correlation between Reeshaw being the interim coach and the players playing for him.
0: Yeah. I think there's also a correlation between reviews of football departments and, yeah. and players getting their shit together as well. So nothing motivates, you know, nothing motivates you for uh, for victory like the winds of disaster blowing up your skirt. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So I think I think reading between the lines, one of the things that Brad Scott's had an issue with uh, with the um, the board of directors at North is that I think Brad Scott wanted to draft more than rely on trying to attract free agents, whereas the board wanted to attract free agents. So they're in this weird position now where they don't have a lot of youth. They've got a lot of um, players within probably the last three or four years of yeah. their careers. And I think a few of those players realise now that they're probably going to be up on the trade table against their will. So, yeah, I mean, that's got to motivate you to do some work, right? So it'll be interested to see yeah. whether they're still performing like this in six, eight, ten weeks' time.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's really it. Um, I wouldn't say, I certainly wouldn't compare this side to the side that Paul Ruiz took over in 2002 when um, he jokingly said after the very first game in charge and they won, he said, I should retire now because I've got a 100% coaching record and I'll be the most <laughs> successful senior coach in AFL history if I retire now. As a joke, it was pretty funny. You know, who would have known like two and a bit years later he'd be uh, the first Sydney premiership coach in seventy two years. You know, it's a major thing, but we talked to Ted Richards last week and if you haven't, Listen to the Ted Richards interview. Make sure you go and listen to it because he provides massive insight, not just into Reshaw, but the whole team itself and and how the mentality of football is. But he basically said Reshaw knows how to uh, communicate with players, how to build relationships, and the impact he had at Sydney was enormous. And the fact that within four months of him being at Sydney when he first joined the club in 2008, he was already in the leadership group. So that speaks volumes for the player itself and his capability to build those relationships and to build the trust within the squad. And they obviously trusted him. I mean, look at his performances throughout the finals from 2010 onwards. He was a really good player. He was an exceptional player. Um,
0: uh, I'd I'd recommend too that that any of our listeners uh, who haven't, Listen to the Ted Richards podcast yet go back and listen to that and he'll mention a couple of uh, a couple of podcasts he's done through the Richards report and one of them's with a a professor from uh, the University of Pennsylvania and who's a consultant with National Football League teams and they talk about you know the value of the first round pick the first pick of the first round Um, and statistically it's actually a very poor value uh, in terms of, you know, what you get back for that pick. So uh, highly overrated in pretty much any sport where they've got a draft. And I think if you actually listen to that podcast uh, and listen to what this guy from the University of PA has to say, it really it really underscores what's going on at Carlton at the yes. moment too. Um, and if you it listen does. to that in conjunction with the – it, was it Chris Keane? Yeah, Chris Keane. Chris Keane, the, about... the data analyst who works for the Swans. Yeah, yeah. That um, I think if you listen to those two, you'll actually get a really good sense of why Sydney's draft strategy has been what it has been over the last few years. It's really insightful, really insightful yeah, stuff.
1: It, it really is. And look, uh, all I can say is congratulations to Rasho, and hopefully he does, you know, become a senior coach. Hopefully not a Carlton. I don't want him to be coach Carlton. Because that means his career is over before it started. But, you know, I I like what he's doing. And he's very highly regarded amongst his peers already. He's won the AFLCA Assistant Coach of the Year twice. So, if that doesn't say he's regarded, I don't know what else is possibly could do it. Uh, But the uh, third and final thing on the agenda, Josh, is the John Longmire Press Conference. So, if you head over to the Sydney Swans website... They got the article where they got a few choice quotes from the John Longmire press conference. Usually I write these up. These take me about 45 minutes to write up. But essentially he has admitted... That Daniel Menzel and Lance Franklin went into the matches, uh, Lance Franklin in the previous two matches, but they went into the matches underdone. It was a gamble. They thought that maybe they could get away with it, but obviously it hasn't worked. And uh, probably the worst thing is that Dan Manuels actually pulled up with soreness after the match. It's described as general soreness and an expectation to be available to face West Coast, but time will tell. The other good news is that Zach Jones, Josh Kennedy, and Harry Cunningham, and Kieran Jack are expected to be available after the bye, which is all pretty much normally in line with their injuries. But Sam Naismith has got to mention that he might be back a bit after that. Uh, The bit after that, we don't know if it's going to be between round 14 and round 23. It could be any time between there. It could be round 23. It could be round 15. Who knows? So the fact that they are expecting Sam Naismith, Josh, to come back later this year, I think is a good sign.
0: Yeah, a few weeks after the buy, that could be – I mean, who knows? That could be around 22 for all we know. Um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it was a bit of Captain Obvious, really. I think anybody who watched the game last this week and last week would have noticed that Franklin was underdone, which makes perfect sense. He had no pre-season. Um, he had surgery. He had no pre-season. He came in on limited training and then went back out with a minor hamstring strain that made him out for another five weeks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's no surprise with Menzel as well. So I was surprised they played Menzel. Um, yeah, same. I thought it was a big ask to bring him back on two kneeful games and, and to throw him in against his old team as well. I thought that was a little bit harsh, but, you know, he's probably going to be better for the run and it doesn't, It, it,
1: it realistically, it doesn't change where we're at anyway. So no, just no. give him game time, I guess. Look, let's kick on with the review because we are talking about the match now. And I just oh, yeah. want to say on the Dan Menzel topic, uh, yeah, he was underdone, but he still did better than Gary Rowan. <laughs> yeah, he certainly wasn't the guy who had the biggest case of stage for it was he <laughs> no. now I, I'm not a Gary Rowan hater and I, I like what Gary Rowan's actually done at Geelong this year he's, he's been impressive right? but he, they've Geelong have been able to play him in a way that has suited him and their opponents have allowed Geelong to play the Geelong way and Sydney did not allow that at all I no. couldn't believe my eyes when I saw Lewis Malekin on him in the third quarter and he's still only got one possession after halftime. Well, I mean, Lewis Malikon on Gary Rohn's got to be better than Lewis Malikon on Tom Hawkins. Bloody hell. Yeah. I, I wonder, it makes me wonder, right, at the selection table, what they were kind of thinking about, because Dane Rampy's typically taken Tom Hawkins, or Heath Groney's taken him, because Dane rampy has got the strength and the speed to at least intercept. But Malikon doesn't really have the strength to work in the one-on-ones, and that was... Case in point on like the fourth goal He just got pushed aside And Hawkins just lumbered into the Into the path of the ball And the other thing is He can't keep with him on the lead He just doesn't have the pace to go Really with any of the forwards on a lead So the only way the Malik can Can have really any effect As a centre-half back is Or as a full-back Is really if the ball's high and long Into the, you know, forward 50 So, yeah It just makes me wonder You know, at the selection table there you said, no, we don't want to play Thurley for this but I, I
0: would can't have preferred Thurlow as a yeah, matchup than, exactly. than uh, Lewis Melancholy. But...
1: Obviously not Thurlow on on Hawkins, but certainly Thurlow on Gary Rowan. And that probably would have oh, given yeah. the players a bit more flexibility to do a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. But uh maybe they wanted it for Radagalia and um they thought that Stanley was going to play, but it was Zach Smith in the end, so they figured, you know, height for height, that's probably the good way to go, but I think it kind of um kind of blew up in the end. Yeah. Oh,
0: look, I mean, their, their forward line was always going to generate a mismatch on us. Didn't matter where, you know, what they put out there. So, someone was going to get torched. If it was last year, it would have been Harry Marsh getting torched. You know, it it it, it is what it is. There's just we've got a pretty solid back six at the moment, and the fact that we kept a team that's running at 145 percent to 85 points yeah. was pretty impressive in its own right. Um, but you know, at the moment, the Pelicans always going to be the weak link down there, and and. They single him out. But I, I don't know... I, I wouldn't have imagined that they would have actually matched Melikan up on Tomahawk yeah. at the start of the game, though. That was the yeah. only bit that really surprised me there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was always a risky one. Uh, I think most sort of neutrals and most fans would have looked at that matchup and gone, "Oh, Hawkins is going to be licking his lips. And to be honest, I mean, he had four goals about five minutes into the third quarter. So... Yeah, and and he's having a bit of a renaissance year as well. Like, he's having a good year. Yeah, look, I mean, he had a bit of a brain fade when he uh, stuck out his his bicep into Jordan Dawson, and he was very, very lucky to cop a fine. And I just love Jarrett McVeigh. He came up to him and and shook his head. And I'm pretty sure he mouthed to him, you're going to cop a week for that. It, yeah. it was. It just looked like genuine disappointment. It didn't look like Fury or Rage, just... i got to get that video and I've got to put it up because I just cracked up laughing when I saw that. At that point, we'd already turned the Old commentary McVay off. Old Daddy McVeigh laying it down. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grandpa McVeigh. At that time, I'd already turned the commentary off because it was sickening. The commentary was just absolutely appalling.
0: Yeah, it's pretty ordinary.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, a good start. Uh, we probably should have led by Great more. <laughs> we were 2-3 up to zip and uh, we missed 2 you know, guilt-edge opportunities, which really was the story of the night for us. 8.15. Frustrating.
0: Frustrating to frustrating to go in there um, down to the Cattery again. Um, put on a, you know, 110 minutes of good football, um, you know, with 15 minutes of absolute retardation thrown in at the centre yeah. and around the stoppages. Um, to have more scoring shots and then lose by essentially four goals was... It's frustrating uh, to the point of being maddening at times. But at the same
1: time, it sort of shows that we're not actually that far off the pace at the moment. No, and that's the really pleasing thing about this team is the first six weeks were pretty, pretty ordinary. It's, I think it's fair to say. We beat Colton, and that was our only, only four-quarter performance in the first six weeks. The performances that we've had in the last four weeks, all right, we've got two wins, a close loss, and comfortable loss, But we dominated one of those, we narrowly won the other one, we could have won the other one, and we had our chances to even win the latest one. And we played the two top teams on the ladder, right? So, the thing that kind of irritates me is if we had applied that sort of work rate and passion in the first six weeks of the season, we probably would have... We're probably going to be six and ten. Yeah, we'd probably be five or six wins from from 10-11 games. Yep. So yeah, I agree. we would have beaten Melbourne for a start. They were utterly dreadful. They were just a pile of crap. That's how bad they were. We should have been forty points up, more than forty points up in that second quarter, and we just gifted the game back to them.
0: Yeah, that's true. And just we've got to know, say too that yeah. that just as we finally started to string some form together too, we've been smacked by the injury yeah. streak. Um, if Kennedy doesn't get injured last week, we beat Collingwood. Yep. If Kennedy plays this week, we would probably we beat too long. At least that's the way I feel because or I at least we're the close difference enough. in the end. Yeah, no, that's right. The difference in the end, for my mind, was Dangerfield. Yeah. Um and uh I mean you can't underrate just how class he is and how quick he is over the first five metres as well, but you put Kennedy in there. Um if Kennedy, or if Kennedy's in there and he plays, you don't you don't have to beat Dangerfield one on one. You just have to get as much Get around the as he's getting yeah. for his team, and and Kennedy would do that. So, I think um, I think that's just the difference. We just lacked a bit of class and depth um, in the middle, and we have done all year um, through either form, and now it's through um, injury. Yeah, but you know, like I said, I, I was relatively happy with what I saw. I'm not not as happy as I was last week, but. You know, I, I was I was pretty happy with what we did.
1: Yeah, look, we copped an absolute belting in, in clearances and uh, even more. So, <sighs> scores conceded from stoppages. I, I went on the AFL app because if you go on the AFL app, they've got the commentary on the app. They've also got the commentary on the site. And they put up a lot of really nice tidbits and stats. And these are the stats that you would get from Champion Data if you have the subscription... Or you're a club who had access to them. So they put up things like ground ball gets, uh, scores from sources uh, over time periods and stuff like that. So I'm just going to go over a couple of them, right? So we were down 13 clearances for the match, 44 to 31, and were negative 6 on cent clearances, 14 to 8. <sighs> Geelong scored 67 to 29 points from stoppages. We got absolutely destroyed in stoppages. Even yep. more so, they scored six one thirty seven to our three three twenty one from four at half clearances. That is a spanking. So yeah, three quarters of their score, four fifths of their scores came from clearances, which is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, but not surprising either. I mean, we were ranked seventeenth in that same stat early this year, and you know, North Melbourne was the only team that was worse. And in, that was either round two or three that those stats came out, and we were conceding 42 points then. Yeah. We have just conceded 67 from the same thing. So, again, not a, um, not a huge surprise there, but it, it just yeah. goes back to the midfield depth at the moment. Um, you can't underestimate just how good Josh Kennedy still is for us Yeah. and just how much drive we lose when Zach Jones doesn't play.
1: Yeah, I like what uh, Florence has been doing. I really like what he's been doing. He's provided a good foil and a good hit out, and a good change in that. He is capable of winning it inside and outside. And I mean, his foot skills are probably no, no real different to Zach Jones. He's guilty of the occasional turnover, but he's done pretty well. Yeah, and but where where
0: Florent turns it over on the ground is, is a you know, I'd rather Florent turn it over where he doesn't than where Zach Jones does. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. the real difference. You really notice a Zach
1: Jones turnover. You tend to notice Nolly Florentine's Because it turn goes strapped much. back over his head for a goal half the time. But. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They just hammered him from the fifty yard line. Yeah, um, exactly. So like some other pieces right, obviously we were leading fifteen 0 early in the first quarter, but then Geelong kicked the next five goals and they looked they looked like they were just about to run off of the match. We did really, oh, yeah. really well in that second quarter to stop them, get a couple of points, a couple of goals back, draw level, but then we just gave away a goal on the halftime siren, and that was their first of four goals in a row. Hawkins went and kicked two goals in five minutes in the third quarter. Malikan was dragged. They had to drag him. They had no choice, and that was pretty much it. They were up by uh, 29 points. before. In a blink of an eye, they are up by 25 point- uh, 29 points. Yep. That yep. was it. That was the match. Yep. We no, did wow well, but um, just went goal for goal pretty much after that. That's right. But and despite despite the you
0: know, the rather large midfield mismatch, um, we still generated enough opportunities. We still got our standard forty seven inside fifties, like we were exactly yeah. on our average. We still generated enough shots at goal. We're actually very efficient in, in generating shots on goal with our limited inside fifties, but this week the radar was off. So we go in there, what did we kick eight eight fifteen?
1: Yeah, but,
0: you know, you go in there and you kick fifteen eight, and that's and that's a
1: comfortable yeah, win. Yeah, but uh, you know how earlier in the season we were getting slaughtered on turnovers. We we're conceding over a three match period. We conceded oh, like fifty or no, I think we were averaging nearly eighty points a match conceded from turnovers. This is uh, round, I think it was like round four to six. We we're just getting absolutely slaughtered on turnovers. We scored two ten from turnovers. Yeah. Three of those turn into goals. Right? It's a five point five six point margin. And yep. some of those were like absolute gimmies. You know, Sam Reed missed a couple. Haywood missed a couple. And they were really gettable shots. The um I I'm just
0: I've got the stats up on the screen in front of me at the moment. The interesting thing about the numbers that we're looking at today is that uh despite the fact we are still getting absolutely belted in contested possessions. Um, we are still capable of beating the best teams at the moment, which is really weird. So yep. if we could actually, if we could actually reverse <laughs> this issue with the contested possessions and the clearances,
1: mate, we could be bloody tough to beat. We could be really tough to beat. Well, our marking we really could be our marking game is really good. It's it's right up the top level of what's going on at the moment. We've actually oh, had elite. more marks inside fifty. Over, I think over the last four weeks than all of our opponents. Uh, it, it's been amazing. We're up five marks inside fifty again, and this is against a team that has Tom Hawkins, Radicalia, Zach Smith, uh, Gary Rowan, who's been getting a lot of marks inside 50. uh, Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly, Myers. uh, Duncan. Duncan rotates through there as well. Dalhouse. I mean, this is a team that's got a lot of options, and we absolutely destroyed them in the inside 50 marks and efficiency and getting targets. But contested marks. Again, we're up plus seven. Aaliyah, Rampy, and Sam Reed. those three alone had... I think they had uh, nearly 10 contested marks between them.
0: Yep. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: The tackles though, the tackle count disappoints me. So, yeah. <laughs> plus yeah. 6. Uh, we're normally we're, better than that. Plus 6 but only 55 for the match. I don't know if that's like a lack of foot speed or maybe Geelong just were able to, you know, maintain possession better. I I'm not quite sure, but their time in possession was about nearly 20% more now, so I'm not too surprised by that, but you know, given the fact they were able to hold the ball more, you'd expect more tackles.
0: You would think so. Um, you would think so. Um like we could just add it to uh, you know, another week where we had more turnovers
1: and we had <laughs> tackles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is a disappointment. But uh, the funny thing was we uh, actually had less turnovers than Geelong. Yeah. So nine yeah. less. Just before we move funny.
0: on to just before we move on to our our best players on ground, um I've sort of mentioned this a couple of times in our private you know, chats over the last few weeks. Um, actually, I want to bring up two players, and one of them is going to be Ryan Clark. I thought Ryan, the matchup for Mitch Duncan with Ryan Clark was – that should have been changed. Yeah. Um, he did all right. He probably did all right in the first half. Um, but Duncan was able to drag him up the field a little bit further than I'd like, you know, than I'd like Clark to be able to go. And then he – which meant that he then had to re- resort on, you know, put it on his boot, and I don't like it when he kicks the ball, ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and then, you know, once their midfield really started putting the clamps on towards the end of the third quarter, I guess, um, and they really started beating us up around the ball, well, then we end up back in that situation where Ryan Clark, he just, he just doesn't go well when the rest of the midfield's not going well, and I thought he got exposed again a bit this week, uh, but yeah. my big complaint is, and I was going to come out and say it, I hate the way we play Isaac Heaney at the moment. Yes, I yes, really hate the way we play yes. Isaac Heaney at the moment. At some stage, he, look, if his ankle's fit enough to play, he should play. be in the middle.
1: He should be in the middle. He went into the middle And the not last up in a wing and in and... the forward line.
0: Yeah. So we're getting smashed in contested ball and clearance is right. And at the start of the, first, of the fourth quarter, we remember that he can actually play as an on-baller. So we stick him in the centre. And what happens? He's got, like, eight possessions for three quarters of football. He then racks up another 12, I think, by the end of that quarter and gets four clearances. Wins the very first clearance for that quarter. And it's
1: yeah.
0: like, mate, this should be a starting position. Not, yeah. not you know, we used him in this weird little <laughs> Mr. Fix-It role where we move him all over the bloody ground at the moment. Yeah. And uh, we put him up on a wing and hope he can drift forward and kick a couple of goals.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they're doing with him. Uh, I know it's been a bit of a source of frustration for us for quite some time because, yeah, he is, an, he is an elite midfielder and he should be playing as a midfielder. We don't need to have him as the floating fullback anymore because we're not playing Sam Reed in that position. Sam Reid only went to fullback once against Geelong and that was late in the third quarter. Uh, Jordan Dawson's doing it really, really well at the moment, so we'll just stick with him. I think we don't need Isaac Heeny to do it. We don't need Sam Reid to do it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Like Dawson can play that role that we've got Heeny doing at the moment. Um, I just, I just think that if you, if you're getting flogged around the centre like we have been for the last few weeks, and you've got a guy there who has got potential to be, you know, in the top ten on ballers in the entire competition, why, why play him in this weird winger slash sort of?
1: part four time forward thing we're doing at the moment I, I just don't understand what they're doing with him yeah i don't know either I mean, we've got mills who has looked to have a bit of a returner form he had the uh the commentators cursed. they were ripping shreds into him in the second quarter he hasn't really had a possession hasn't really had a mark and he just gets like three four marks in a row two of them intercept gets about six possessions in about five minutes and they're just like oh okay then we can't really bag him out anymore he actually looks like he knows what he's doing again so, no,
0: that's right. Also, it doesn't... And I know it's round 10, and you'd hope that he'd picked up a little bit more form by now. Um But he didn't play all last year. His whole preseason was being... Uh, as a midfielder. ...was being prepared to be as a midfielder, as an on-baller. And then due to injury or form or whatnot, we put him back in his old role, yeah. role which he hadn't played for a year and he hadn't trained for. <laughs> um and it, yeah. and it was a dysfunctional backline when he went in there as well. So it's taken him a while. To, it's taken him a while to get warm up to it again.
1: Yeah, it really has. Uh, look, I, I would say the one thing I was really pleased about was the marking in general. Uh, so you've got Alire and Rampy who were absolutely superb in defence, and the number of intercept marks we took. I'm not sure. Like I can't get that stat out of the AFL app or AFL site, unfortunately, unless they put it in the AFL feed. But I would say of the 113 marks that we took, we're up plus 40 against Geelong as well. It's 113 to 73. But I would have a guess that at least 30 of those were intercept marks, 25 to 30, which is an absolutely ridiculous number. We had a good, good night in the air. Um,
0: we've proven that we've proven over the years that we're a bit of an aerialist team. Um, and, and on games where we haven't brought it in the air, we've been absolutely pulverized as well. So it's certainly not a part of our game we can let go at the moment.
1: Yeah, and it's just glad to see um, we'll kick on into the best players. But it's just glad to see you know someone like Sam Reid who had an awesome game last week. Six goals, almost ten marks. He was absolutely phenomenal in the air. He finished with sixteen disposals, one two, six hit out. So he proved he can come into the ruck and actually do a pretty good job. He was really really good against Zach Smith and Retta Galea. He had nine contested possessions, seven marks, and three of those were contested. So mm. he he had a good game again. This is what we need from him every single week.
0: It's amazing what happens when he gets a bit of confidence in his body again, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really is. Now, who else did you like for the match?
0: Uh, we've already mentioned him, actually. I, I quite like Dawson again. I think he's a bit of a quiet achiever at the moment, quite frankly. Um, he's you know He's got a good work rate, he's got good hands, and he, he's you know, got one of the things that we desperately need in our team, and that is he's got a good foot. Um, yeah, I've well, like I've said it week after week now. I've been a big fan of his for a couple of years now, yeah. And I've just been waiting for him to show what I thought he'd give us, and he's given us everything and more.
1: Yeah, um. oh, yeah, he he has been he has been a quality addition to the team, and look, I was really impressed with his performance on the weekend. He had 18 disposals, but again, the other thing is he had seven marks and three of them were contested. So he's yep. come into the side and he's given us that. I guess the aerial out that we've really needed desperately in the midfield and defense. Um, We did our player ratings and we did our player of the year and we've put up our fan player of the year. So if you haven't done your fans player of the year, make sure you put them in They're on our social channels. Also do your player ratings, but we're going to come into a player of the year votes in a minute, but I want to raise two players, Josh, that we didn't have on our player of the year votes and, kind of came in for some criticism about. One of them was George Hewitt, and the other one was Jake Lloyd. Do you want to uh, read off some of George Hewitt's stats for us?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So, George Hewitt, 29 disposals, 14 contested, 8 turnovers, 8 marks, 5 clearances, and 4 free kicks against. And uh, the reason why... I actually I actually haven't looked at Player of the Year votes yet, but I'm tipping the reason why he was a little bit stiff um, was because 8 turnovers and 4 free kicks against... Um, Four free kicks against George is pretty unusual, uh, but eight turnovers from 29, you know, given his role. Yeah. Puts him down the list a little bit more, and then he has to contest with your Dawson's and Sam Reed's for the player of the year vote. So um, stiff to miss out, but I think, I think it's a pretty good decision.
1: Yeah, look, when you have 29 disposals and you're gifting it back to the opposition 12 times, I mean, that's not a good game. He did some yeah. really good contested work, but his efficiency he went at about fifty percent. So oh, was... I love
0: the fact that he's turned into a bona fide contested bull. I, I, yeah. I really do. Um, I really do. And and when we run him as a tagger, he's good enough to win his own ball back as well. But but you're right. You know, you've effectively handed the ball back twelve times for a game. You, you got to pop him down the list, and then he has to compete with some of the others that are on there. So yeah, exactly. Um, he could have easily had spot one or two, um, but. When we get to the actual the actual places, I think I think you'll understand why he got pushed yeah. out
1: by those two guys. The other thing is, if you look at Tim Kelly, Tim Kelly's game was pretty good. Tim Kelly definitely, beasted in the second and third quarter. While Hewitt had a really good first quarter, twelve disposals. He was very quiet in the second and third quarters, and then had a massive last quarter. Yeah, it, it's when the match was on the line, Hewitt just wasn't kind of there. He was really good early, and he was really good late, but when we really needed him to be that contested player, he just kind of wasn't there. He didn't have a big enough impact. And and I would go as far to say that's Geelong doing the work on him and really preventing yeah, him absolutely. from having that
0: influence. Yeah, and, and also too that the reason why we say that he wasn't there is that we've become so used to George now that he's back to his old form. Got, yeah, He sets a pretty high standard for himself because he's such a good, reliable player for us uh, most of the time. So, yeah, it's a bit of Josh Kennedy who is with him. Really. Yeah.
1: It is. Look, another player uh, I want to bring up. 34 disposals. It is our reigning Bob Skilton medalist, Jake Lloyd. Uh, so we also came in for a bit of stick on this one. Jake Lloyd didn't get any of the player of the year votes. And he copped a, uh, a 6.5 or a 7 on the player ratings. 34 disposals. Two contested. One tackle. Four rebound 50s. Now, he's playing as a defender. And he's only got one tackle. He's got and, one tackle, and, and I think two one percenters. His defensive acts were like almost non-existent. I know, I know. We
0: use him. We've been using him as this, um, you know, half back line distributor of the ball, and we have done for a couple of years. But the difference between last year and this year is that his disposal last year was exceptionally good, um, and he still, deal- still, his defensive pressure acts. And this year, his disposal's not great. He's not winning any contested ball at all. Um, and, you know, you can't have one tackle and two one-percenters if you're yeah. playing in a back line. That was Ac- under siege for a large part of the game yeah. as well. So, I understand why
1: why you didn't put him in the player of the year votes. So, I'm looking up the stats right now. One-percenter, one. one. Yeah. Pressure-axe, 15. Marks, 13. So, he took a lot of marks, and he does take a lot of marks. Score-involvements, Eight. I mean, every player has a score involvement eventually. Anyone who gets a possession that leads to a, a score gets a score involvement. I think it's within like 10 disposals or something. So every basically every single player on the ground will get a score involvement at some point. Yep. But the five turnovers... Yeah, very different from a goal assist. Yeah. And it was the five turnovers. And it's not the fact that he had five turnovers. It's the fact that those five turnovers hurt us. So yeah. he has his obligatory brain fade where he'll chip it inside defensive 50 and it's just a goal turnover. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, uh let's go straight to player of the year votes. Josh, uh you can run it one to five or five to one, but run off the player of the year votes, mate. All right. Uh with one vote we've got Jordan Dawson, Mr. Pineapple Boots,
0: two votes, Sammy Reed, uh having another cracker night with his uh his uh you know, sticky mitts, Ali Lee. He had another big night down back. Uh, Dane Rampey comes in with four votes and Luke Parker with five.
1: Yeah. It's. Uh, I would say it's pretty hard to argue about those five. They were really, really good. Especially Luke Parker with
0: these kind of... <laughs> Luke Parker's stats are phenomenal. Uh, I'll go through them, actually. 28 disposals, 14 of them contested, three goal assists, seven marks, 24 pressure acts, 450 metres gain, five clearances, four tackles, and six inside
1: 50s, and probably should have had two goals as well. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was really, really good. Had a uh, massive night. He was consistent throughout the entire match as well. Yeah, he did. He really applied himself across four quarters, didn't he? Um, he did, yeah. My um, I, I want to know what your highlight of the match was, but uh, oh, I would say... Easy. Oh, easy. No, no, I'm going to give... <laughs> I know what yours is, but my highlight of the match, <laughs> it has to be Jordan Dawson's inside 50 kick from the pocket, like the pocket flank, that just went over. I think Papley's head. Uh, the two Geelong players took themselves out, and Hayward just popped up behind for a mark. Yes, yeah. that that for me was like one of the moments of the match because it was just a, a fluky kick, and it just came off, and it was perfect, and it was totally unintentional.
0: Yep, uh, for <laughs> me it was it was uh, the lizard Nick Blakey, Flaky um, Blakey. Yep, Flaky Blakey. Uh, so <laughs> he's uh he's you know. Running full tilt, uh, roves the ball, takes three bounces. You know, pulls a fantastic little, uh, you know, inboard kick with his left foot uh, on the run uh, to Hayward, sets Hayward up for a goal. And it was very similar to one he did last week as well, actually. Yeah. Um. So there was that, but I think that actually gets pipped by my my favourite Nick Blakey moment. just because of the comedy of it, and that's where the two Geelong defenders collided. Fell arse over it on each other, <laughs> and he broke the ball and kicked his own goal. That one did it for me. I just thought that <laughs> yeah. was pretty
1: funny. Yeah, uh, the one where he kicked it inside to Haywood, Um I, I just love that uh, Zach too. He just fell asleep, and Haywood literally just Waltzed past him into the goal.
0: Yeah, he's got a he's got a good set of feet on him. This bloke. I- I'm looking forward to see what he gives us in a couple of years' time.
1: Yeah, the next sort of three to five years, they are looking uh, they're looking pretty exciting. Yeah, we just need to give them a. We just need to be able to keep a midfield, um, keep yeah. a midfielder that can
0: win a contested ball, and, and we're going to have the forwards. Uh, we just need the just need to win it. We need to
1: get some foot skills. Yeah, yeah, we do. Look, uh, leaderboard. So we have a new Player of the Year leader, Luke Parker's on top with twenty two votes. Josh Kennedy second place with nineteen votes. Ali Ralia moves up to third place with seventeen. Oliver Florent is in fourth on thirteen, and George Hewitt is in fifth on twelve votes. So we'll be right back after this break. Welcome to intermission. Come gather round, children! It's high time.
0: We are parting light. ways uh, with About coach uh, senior coach Brendan, coach Brendan
1: Bolton.
0: Brendan, devil named Mark go to show. You. The club met with you Brendan like this morning, drum, uh, where he was informed that a change the in the senior coaching position was in the best interests like of the Carlton Football Club.
1: So we'll march day and night by the big cooling tower. They have the strategy, but we have the plans.
0: Holy Jesus. What is that?
1: And welcome back. It is now time for our Monday champions and our Monday villains. So, Josh, I am going to kick things off with my Monday champion. So, my Monday champion is actually two champions, and it needs to be two champions for two different reasons. I couldn't really split them. So, the first one is Michael Walters, and I love what he's been able to do the last two weeks. He clinched the win last week with a point after the siren, which must be one of the most celebrated points that I can think of, certainly since Tony Lockett's pluggers, famous point to get into the 1996 grand final. It was fantastic. Any score would have done. And I believe that was to beat the uh, Brisbane Lions as well. Brendan Bolton as well. He comes in for my champion. He carried himself in a way in that press conference that I think really reflected on him as a person and the immense pride that he has in himself and, and the work he's been doing and what he'd been doing with Carlton. He got screwed over something shocking while he was at Carlton, and they did him absolutely no f- favors, and they set him up for failure. But yeah, look, um, here's my champion. So both of them, Michael Walters and Brandon Bolton, they're my champions. Good picks. Can't argue with either. No, no. So uh, your champion, please.
0: My Monday champion. I'm still on the still on the hashtag Lions blog bandwagon <laughs> here, mate. Uh, Brisbane Lions again, just with that young team. Um. That game that they played this week would have turned out very differently if it was played last year or the year before. You know, they had a terrible first quarter. They were down by a fairly significant margin. And then not only did they chip away at that lead and and then get back in front, but they then went on a bit of a rampage uh, in the back end of the fourth quarter as well. Just a great game by a bunch of, you know, relatively young and inexperienced kids and they're just they're just my Monday champion. I, I just like everything about them at the moment.
1: Yeah, that first quarter was uh, nothing to write home about, and uh, they managed to keep Hawthorne to just uh, three goals three after half time, which is um, yeah. quite impressive. And you're right; they they've just they developed the some
0: resilience and mental toughness that they never used to have, and, and that's and that's the the Hodge Fagan yeah combination. And I just I just like him. I, I really like him.
1: Well, the impressive thing was uh, some of the younger players who came in last year, they spoke of the fact that they, those two in particular have created an environment that is very inclusive and very embracing of the players. And they want to create not so much like a community, but like a big family. And they just want to bring everyone along. And it's not like people playing against each other for, for positions or anything like that. It's, it's everyone together. Everyone matters. And you can see that the way they play. They play for each other. They're not playing for the coach. They're playing for one another. And and I think they've done wonders up in that club. Maybe they need to send that pair to uh, Carlton. (laughs) 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 Uh, Villain time. Uh, These are the droids you're looking for. Villainous scum. And my first villainous scum is Melbourne. They uh, they, They have been a bane of my existence so far this year. They've uh, just invented new
0: and interesting ways to lose, haven't they? Yeah, they, well, they have.
1: Titus O'Reilly put it different, uh, put it perfectly. He said, "It's uh, it's an ex-girlfriend that breaks up with you every single week in a new and interesting <laughs> way." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They led by a fairly significant margin in the third quarter. It was like thirty odd points, and then Adelaide just went bang, bang, bang. They kicked nine goals. Three to three goals, 12 after half time. This is after half time, and they led by three points. With I uh, must be at about two minutes left, two and a bit minutes left. So Sam Wiedemann and Max Gorn have shots before the final siren. Max Gorn misses, sprays it, and then Sam Wiedemann has a shot with maybe 30 seconds left and misses it. Absolutely and sprays it. it again. Yep. Yeah, uh, bad, no, bad last quarter by the D's. No, no they I, choked to win away. I have no sympathy. They had one goal, eight to five, two in that last quarter. So, yep, you are my villain for the week, Melbourne. Uh, your villain, please, Josh. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Brendan Bolton press conference earlier
0: because while Bolts was the hero of that press conference, Mark Lagoutteche was definitely the villain of yes. that bloody press conference. Yes. If, if anyone wants to see. A bit of media work that's totally reliant on talking points. Go and have a look at that. So,
1: Man, the only so thing missing sitting, from
0: that was a bus, an actual bus driving through it. Yeah, so while they're sitting there sacking the coach, you've got the, the, the president of the Carlton Football Club sitting there saying, you know, this is the right move for Carlton, um, but we're not going to change our plan. What... What and you're plan? sort of sitting there going, well, if you're not going to change the plan while you're sacking the coach, yes. you know, and, and they're worried about win-loss records and all this kind of rubbish. And, and you just want to go, mate, just have a look at the list decisions you guys have made over the last couple of years. You've taken every experienced head out of that club just about, sold them, got rid of them, you know, got in all these picks, took taken a bunch of, uh, you know, young, talented kids, um, but they've got no leadership on the field. They've got no experienced heads to learn from. Um, and then you, you've obviously gone after some big free agency names. Uh, Tom Mitchell was one of them. Yeah. Dylan Shield was another one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Dylan Shield, they actually thought he was a lock and then were surprised when they didn't get him. Um, but that list isn't as good as they make it out to be. It, it could be a good list in, in two, three or four years' time. But at the moment, it's just a it's just a bunch of kids with 50, yeah. 50 games or less under their name. I really think they thought they were going to bring in Liam Stocker yep. and Sam Walsh this year. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden they're just going to go, bam! A miracle would occur, and then they would go and play finals. And it hasn't worked out that way. Um, but Mark Lagudashe, he just looked like he was completely, you know, detached from reality. Um, I feel sorry for Bolts. I think he was sold a lemon. Um, I think he was sold a lemon, and and the list management hasn't been as good as the Carlton are making it out to be. And you know, yeah. I just you know, is my villain. No one's seen anything from this guy for months. He does all his stuff through. Uh,
1: He's a backroom dealer. He does it all through cloak well, and daggers he- from the shadows.
0: Absolutely, and and his mouthpiece has been Chris Judd through Footy Classified, and I can't wait to watch that <laughs> later on tonight. It's going to be oh, a little bit of cloak and dagger yeah, stuff, you know. Cara's going to be there stabbing him with the ribs. Juddy's going to have the shits, and <laughs> you know, and and Lloyd's going to be sitting there because he'll going to know he's going to know a whole bunch of stuff from his brother, but he's not allowed to say that he knows yeah. what his brothers told him. So, yeah, exactly. I
1: just Mark Viguta show you're an absolute villain. Yep. Now, look, we're going to go straight into the Clown Files because <laughs> unfortunately can't feature prominently in it. It's Clown Files <laughs> time. <laughs> and now, Josh, can you please give us our first nomination for Clown of the Week? Oh, I've been waiting for
0: an opportunity to bloody put this guy in the clown files, and that's Razor Ray. It's finally <laughs> happened. It's he, Razor Ray. Razor Ray got smashed in. Some would say it was in his stomach, and some would say it was in his nether regions. But he got absolutely pollexed by a football the other day. He fell over. The crowd laughed at him. And any time the crowd laughs at Razor Ray, is a good day. So, <laughs> I just this is my
1: chance to clown him, and I've done it. So, Razor, you're a clown. Yep, yep. no, nah, I, I love it. Uh, the, uh, first Carlton nomination, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> first of many, uh, Carlton's performance, uh, on the weekend with Brendan Bolton's job on the line was an, was an absolute disgrace. It was disgraceful. Uh, it was disgraceful. Uh, they really had a chance to win it and they put in one of the all time worst performances that they could possibly have put up Their 33 or 35 points, whatever it was, was the second lowest score of the decade. So, yeah, you, you gotta look for them back, or across the competition. Across the competition. Even Gold Coast Suns were scoring more in their formative years and same with GWS. It it was must be home and away season stats because yeah. we
0: scored less than that last year.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be the home and away stats. Um but far out. I mean they, they were absolutely absolutely atrocious. Uh, they did they themselves no favours at all, and it's not like S and were any good. I mean, they you know, the barometer, um Tip and Woody, he he didn't kick a goal until the second half. So up no,
0: through. s yeah. people are talking about Essendon's performance in that game, no. but they were far from convincing <laughs> that themselves. Shit as well. They were terrible. All right, your uh, next nomination, please. Oh, it's another bloke I've been waiting to clown. <laughs> Bruce McEvaney, yes. because just after Razor Ray got pile-driven by that football in his testicles, Bruce Mack laughed and called him a star. And there's no way in hell that Razor Ray is a bloody star, Bruce
1: Mack. So you, sir, are a clown. Yes. No, nah, I love it. I love it. Uh, the next nomination, we've kind of actually uh, given this the villain already, but Melbourne finding a whole nother way, a whole new unique way to lose a match. Mm-hmm. So it's a throwback to the Geelong match, last year when they were up, Or they need to go on to kick a goal. No, they need to go on to kick a goal after the siren to win the match. And they were down by two or three points. And uh, he sprayed it from about 20 meters almost directly in front. So, what does he do? He needs to kick a goal to put them up with about a minute left. What does he do? (laughs) He sprays it again. Oh, man. Uh, Sometimes I really feel sorry for Melbourne supporters. I really do. But far out. Jesus. I mean, it's kind of satisfying to watch them crumble in they a way is,
0: such an impressive lead away as well that was uh, that was gotta be that's gotta be
1: the killer that the way just, they lose games is it's it's amazing it's outstanding it's, it's amazing it's mind-blowing uh look i'm actually gonna i'm gonna give it to you for naming the clan of the week because i think you have a bit of passion on this subject yeah i do and and actually i've already i've already giving you a 25-minute dissertation on him anyway. <laughs> so,
0: again, Mark Mark Shea, just completely clueless, just nothing but talking points. Um, it's the first time anyone's seen him for ages. You know, I, I just – the problems at Carlton run a hell of a lot deeper than the senior coach, and I think they've seriously got to take a look at Lagouda Yeah, the board of directors, and Silvani as well for this
1: bloody mess. Oh, and boss. Judd, and throw just, in Judd on that as well.
0: Yeah, Judd needs to decide whether he's representing the club or he's representing his own, you know, self-interest with his media role. Um, but oh, you know, know what just, the answer is. This is, is a little bit serious is. to finish it up with, yeah. but I just I, I couldn't stand he's, you know, snake oil pulpit weasel speak talk that he was doing this afternoon. So I just I just want to clan him because I've just decided I can't spell his name. You know, yep. I don't like him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know the one thing that I really took from that press conference. I really want to know what the strategy and the plan is, because all he said was just jargon, buzzword, marketing and, and crap that made absolutely what no I mean sense. That's by snake oil pulpit
0: talk, though. So all you've been like, oh, we have, we haven't hit our, our, you know, using these weird little of vernacular we haven't hit our benchmarks or something it's like well what are the benchmarks and they don't say anything oh we're continuing with the rebuild but you just said
1: that everything is going to plan and then sack the coach like it just is just um, double yeah. double it, talk weasel it speak was BS. So just it was. Him because i don't it like him. all right let's uh, let's move on to the social stuff so i'm going to give credit to you for this one josh because uh you've been really good on the blog and helping out recently and since you actually did this, I'm going to pass it over to you to run this uh, run this segment this week. Oh, oh, the boss is giving me the keys <laughs> to the bandwagon. <laughs> cool, mate, mate, um, mate. This is the paddy wagon that's broken down. It's rusted in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It's up on, ta- it's take up on a, blocks with the tires missing. Ta- Taking take the um, fire out of your belly, but you know, go ahead, go on. No, <laughs> yeah, mate, you couldn't
0: take anything out of my belly. If you've seen the size of it. So, uh, Nick, <laughs> the lizard, Blakey. Uh, has shown us some impressive patches of play in, in his debut season. Uh, clearly he's got some very tidy foot skills and I, I think it's safe to say that we here at the Swans cast and the Swans Blog rate Nick Blakey's foot skills. Uh, we really rated his his uh, work up and down the wing in the last two weeks. He set up two fantastic goals with uh, very accurate inboard kicks both on the run and they both resulted in will Hayward goals. And then we asked our punters what's their best uh, or favorite Nick Blakey moment.
1: Yeah, so we did get a lot of responses that were, we really love Nick Blakey at the moment. So uh, uh, some of the responses didn't quite hit the mark on what we're after. Uh, it's clearly, clearly popular, but they didn't actually yeah. tell us what their favourite <laughs> Nick Blakey moment was. <laughs> and, uh, they're, they're all <laughs> the same moments. <laughs> I don't know which game it was. I mean, two of them said it was like the Geelong game. But, I mean, it could be either game. But I'll kick one off. Luke from Facebook, he said his effort roving at full tilt from Menzel in the Geelong game could have finished himself but kept his eyes open and kicked it into Haywood. And Haywood finished with an absolutely fantastic goal. Yeah, that's that's a good point, isn't it? So, so young blokes should
0: generally just blaze away at that. The fact that if there's one thing you say about Blakey, he's got really good peripheral vision. Yeah. Um. And and we saw that in the Neathful a couple of years ago when he was playing some games there. And and he's got he's got spatial awareness. Um. And only people with spatial
1: awareness can do what he did the other day. So it was yeah. a, a very very tidy little bit of footwork from him. And before we move on to the next one, I also want to raise what he did last week when he was sprinting down the wing and he had an option to go to Franklin. Franklin was calling for it and he ignored him and he went in board. I think that was the Haywood one that Hayward kicked the goal. Um, kicked to Haywood, I think, last week. Yeah. So... No, no, sorry. He probably... He had one haply, last week I where he was went a, in... Happily, wasn't He
0: it? went in board to Sam Reid who then Sam moved Reed. on to Hayward.
1: That's right. That's right, yeah. Eventually ended up with Hayward. But yeah, that, that move itself, I mean... Almost every other player in the Sydney side is going to give it to Franklin, but oh, I just sure. really love the fact that he went no no no, I've got this I can do it and he did it.
0: He's uh he's impressive. Um, Dale from Facebook, oh here we go. That kick to set up Hayward was brilliant. Yes it was.
1: <laughs> yes it was. But which one? <laughs>
0: which one? Uh, all yeah. of them. Any <laughs> Hayward, any goal Hayward's ever kicked that came from a Nick Blakey cross. Yep. all of them. That'll be. Yep. No, we've got one more.
1: (laughs) Run it off for us. Run it off
0: for us. Uh, Blakey setting up Hayward was bloody unreal. Three bounces could have blazed away, but went for the goal assist. Bryce Future ahead. Absolutely, Peter. And it was both
1: games as well. (laughs) Both games. (laughs) Yeah, he is playing some really good football. Um, I'm not sure if I have a, a moment of the season for him yet, because those two are really good. But I would say his performance against Essendon and North Melbourne. They were really good. His North Melbourne game in particular, I was really, really impressed with.
0: Uh, actually, I've, I've got one that's not on this list, and that was in the game against the D's at the SCG. Um, his first goal, the amount of ground he had to cover to take that mark, which wasn't an overly impressive mark, um, but and it didn't really show on the TV, but from the stands, he knew where that ball was going when it was still 70 yards down the field, um, and he covered a lot of ground to get in position to take that to take that mark it was a it was a bloody good effort
1: yeah and like he's shown that work rate which is really impressive for a young player to work that hard and he knows what's required really at this level to get it done yep he's uh he's gonna have a bright future with the sets for sure yeah and he's forming a, a really good partnership with tom McCartan as well and i mean tom mccarton's bit up and down but uh i guess that really begs the question is he better as a center half forward or a center half back time will tell mm-hmm. i guess Yeah, I guess the I guess the the advantage
0: Blake he's got those because he's done all that work as an on baller and as a wingman as well. He's got a bit more variety in what he can do than what Tommy McCartan does. But um,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So look, two different players. They play two different roles, and they're both pretty exciting in their own rights. But uh, next is the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, I'll kick things off with the good. Uh, so my good from our match was Sam Reed. So to watch Sam Reed back up his uh, one-off performance to turn it into a two-off performance, maybe this is a, uh, a sign of things to come, Josh. I'm um, I'm actually Possibly. excited about Sam Reed. I, I would never thought I'd say that I'm excited for Sam Reed, but I'm actually excited to see what he can bring. Oh, I want to see it for the rest of the season, but yes. I'm starting a bit. I'm starting to believe again. I'm starting to believe. I believe he can fly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, don't do that again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Meet Jordan Dawson. Yes. I've been looking for a new favorite player
0: <laughs> since we uh, since we sold Dan Hannebery into slavery. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah, know, well. all that. it still hurts me. I know yeah. he wasn't playing well, but he's still my first AFL man crush. But Jordan Dawson. I'm yeah. going to stop seeing these praiser next week, but I just I rate him. He's still good for me. Um, he's been a, a
1: real fine and a value player, and I just just like him. He's just good. He's been consistently good the whole season. Just bang on it. He's he hasn't really wavered. Not since he got back in the side. He has been at a specific level, and he's maintained that level for the last what six seven weeks now. So he's been really impressive. Yep. He's come along. <laughs> Uh bad. My bad is the coaching situation in the AFL. So we touched on that at the top of the show. <laughs> Two coaches fired in a week is ridiculous. Uh, John Worsfeld, I mean, we've got to go back and we've got to say that the Colton Essendon game should forever be known as the sack cup. And the reason for that is because whoever lost that match was getting the sack. There's no question about it. If Woosher lost it, if Essendon lost it, Wurstfold was out the door he was probably yeah. out the door either after the buy or end of buy or at the end of the year there is no way he was going to stay his position was basically untenable they this is essen and they've recruited heavily in ready made players to make finals they've spent a ton of their cap to bring in stars but you know it's it's kind of a weird situation uh, worstfold is not getting the you know the most out of that team he's not even getting half of what that team's capable of. Uh, Brennan Bolton was sold. He he sold a poisonous chalice or poison chalice, a lemon. um, He was set up to fail. So, yeah, the coaching situation is not good. Brad Scott uh, probably will take some time off. Rich Shaw's going to get a senior gig. And it's really just the lottery for whoever wants Carlton. It's pretty much whoever wants the job will get it.
0: Yeah, that's right, and and ironically, the fact that that Carlton have done this to Bolts and um, and the North Melbourne jobs up for grabs is probably going to save Washer and uh, and Alan, Alan Richardson as well. Yeah, they'll be, they won't they won't make moves on their coach as well. There's already two uh, senior coach positions up for grabs because then they'll be going through the dregs of you know whoever starts the application list first. So
1: yeah, exactly. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if North Melbourne just won't reshore will take you. You, this is pra- this yeah. is basically like your trial period. Let's see how you go, because yep. he's he's going to apply for the job. I have got no question whatsoever. He is applying for the job, but uh, look, you're bad, please, Josh. Uh the ruck situation in Sydney yeah. is still crap. Yeah, like I
0: know we've got Michael Michael Noel from uh, from the Sandful, and he's going to take a while to bed town. Uh, Naismith's not back until a few weeks after the buy, according to the Great Lord Horse. <laughs> um, look, Sinkers, we had an opportunity for a few weeks this year to bring Darcy Cameron in and let Darcy Cameron get smashed around the middle. Um, and Sinkers just—he's been bashed from pillar to post at the moment. His performances are getting worse every week. Um, he, you know, he probably got his hand on the ball, you know, relatively freely this week and promptly smacked it down the throat of uh,
1: Yeah, Paddy Dangerfield and Tim Kelly as well. Game. And
0: yeah, yeah. It's hard to know whether that's that was because of the. Whether there's a like a disconnect in our midfield as well, because he seemed to reliably put it to the empty spot where the uh, where the Geelong guy was. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, at the end of the day, the blokes are forward. He's a forward who can play ruck. Let's get him down the bloody front again.
1: Yeah, um, I just. Uh, uh- we brought in Michael Knoll, and he played in a kneeful. He, he showed he can rock, and he even kicked a goal. And that team, they got spanked. The, the, the Swans team got absolutely spanked in a the kneeful. There's no way they're playing in the grand final this year. And, I mean, if they even made the grand final, they'd just get spanked anyway. So... Yeah.
0: No, that's yeah. a problem with academy top-ups. So uh, Stephen Trelaw reliably tells us there was 11 academy top-ups yep. in that team. There's a lot of AFL-listed players in that line team. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. So. Actually, um, that's not surprising.
1: You, n- you never know what could happen when it comes to finals because the Unifil actually has a restriction on how many AFL-listed players can play in the finals.
0: Gee, it'd be nice if that actually worked for us instead of against us for once.
1: It worked against us last year. But the oh, uh, yeah. before we move on to the ugly, the last thing I want to actually say on that subject was it was actually really interesting to see that with Michael Knoll coming in, he jumped Darcy Cameron... In the rock queue, so he started the match in rock, and he played mostly rock. And Darcy Cameron played forward. And Darcy Cameron looked better as a forward. Yeah, again, it's kind of like one of those uh, Callum Sinclair and um, yeah, I'm trying to trying to remember the uh, the bloke who went to uh, Richmond. Absolute mind oh, blank yeah, for a second. Dan Curvis yeah. It's kind of like that situation where they were both capable forwards who could play rock, but they're a little undersized to play rock.
0: Yeah, I just, I just don't think Cameron's got the tank to run out of game though. Uh, but, but still, I, I'd rather see him get bashed up in the ruck and you know lose yeah, the hit Sinclair. out sixty to fifteen than to watch Sinclair get smashed yep. around in the ruck and lose the hit out 60 oh, to fifteen. So, mm.
1: look, uh, ugly. It's a shared one. Ugly. Uh, we both came to that. No, same it's conclusion. not. I've just changed mine. I just oh no, 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 no. We're going no, gonna no, no. Just do, uh, do your little do all right, your thing. So it's not shared no more. I don't like this. I don't like change last minute. <laughs> Uh, I don't think we need to even say much on the subject. My ugly is this Carlton. We're calling him Carl Tank. They are tanking it. Uh, they have done a massive refresh in their football department, and it is it has uh, backfired. Spectacularly backfired. Um, stupendously. Stupendously. Amazingly. It is a dumpster fire at the moment. That's how bad it is. So, that's yeah, an that's, insult to dumpster fires. It's an insult to dumpster fires. Uh, look, you're ugly, please, Josh. My ugly... Are these
0: peanuts who select the rising star nominees each week? That I had a little meltdown before we started recording tonight yeah, you when did. when I did. <laughs> I did. The nominee came out of Sydney Stack, who who he didn't have a great game in a team that got absolutely bloody trounced by North Melbourne. He wasn't great. Meanwhile, Dylan Clark, the second gamer from Essendon, gets put on Patrick Cripps as a tagger. Not only does he keep, you know, a guy who was tipped to be a you know a brown medalist. And uh, one of the best contested ball winners in the competition keeps him to like twelve disposals. He lays ten tackles and gets twenty disposals of his own. It was an amazing performance. It was a just a fantastic performance. And this guy from Richmond gets a Rising Star nomination yeah. for sort of showing up. It was just
1: it was a disgraceful decision. And yep, yeah, ugly Rising yeah. Star selectors. You're a bunch of peanuts. Yeah, the one on that, I think that's just basically he hasn't been nominated yet, and that's probably one of the nominations he should have got about a month ago, because he did play some really good games a month ago or so, or even certainly in his first month, he was quality up there. It reminds me a little bit when um, when Callum Mills won the Rising Star medal, he wasn't nominated until late in the season. So, no, that's true. And McGrath, yeah. Andy McGrath, was
0: kind of the same. He got a late-season nomination on his body of work. But it's it's round 10, Sydney yeah, Stack. It, just, he hasn't played that many games. He hasn't played that many outstanding games either. They've been relatively solid. They weren't this week. Um, this was a sympathy vote. And, and just yeah, Dylan Clark yeah. was head
1: and shoulders, the best candidate for that nomination. And it just it annoyed me. Yeah, look, uh, I, I don't want to even go into the mindset of the uh, selectors because you know they do. If you go into that, you might as well talk about the All Australian selectors, and sometimes their selections are just mind boggling. But uh, look, that's uh, time for a different show, so we'll uh, pick that up maybe never again. But uh, <laughs> maybe when the All Australian team comes around and we find that there's uh, donut a uh, donut Sydney Swans players in there, so maybe it'll be uh Owen. O when it comes to all Australian time. But, Josh, thank you so much for coming on again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, as always, guys, we are on social media on all channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the tag, The Swans Blog. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook with the Swans Cast Podcast tag. Use the hashtag Swanscast and Swanscast Extra throughout the week. Uh, We'll be back on Friday. We're not on Thursday. We are on Friday uh, because it's a Sunday game. And then we're doing our buy podcast the following Thursday. Uh, The other thing is on Thursday, we are recording the Heath Grunny interview. So there will be more content through the week anyway. Keep an eye out for that one. It's going to be a cracker. It is going to be a cracker. We're really looking forward to it. Until next time, go Swans. Go Swannies.